The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out I'm Andrea Ross and you're listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast. As always, it's so nice to see the messages and thoughts you had after the last episode, but it's really important to us if you're able to rate it, review it and share it with as many people as you like. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn and our fabulous website, The Career Establishment. Before we kick off, do check out our Talent Tip Tuesday video series on YouTube where I tackle a recruitment challenge every two weeks. So do reach out with your topics. Today, I'm joined by Hayley Wilson, founder and group managing director of the recruitment to recruitment business, Paddington Partners. You will remember that we had Adam Campbell, director for the Singapore business on the show, episode 13, which was titled, Do Recruiters Really Need Recruiters?, And in this episode, we gain a global perspective from Hayley on the recruitment sector and what trends and insights have emerged in 2020 and what she sees as the challenges and growth markets for 2021 and beyond. Hello, how are you today? Thank you, Andrea. How are you? I'm very well. You're in lovely, sunny, well, it looks as though it's sunny, New Zealand and it's very early in Singapore today. So I'm I'm glad you're going to be full of life I might be a little bit quieter than I normally am. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I am full of life. Good. So let's kick off. Now, hey, now Paddington Partners was founded in 2008 as an international recruitment to recruitment company. And you've got offices in Singapore, London, Hong Kong, Dubai and New York and access talent across the globe. I mean, I know we've known each other for a while, but I don't think I've ever really sort of asked you this. So what's the history? You know, which office did you open first and why did you decide on that particular location? Um, it was it was London. It, it wasn't much of a um, strategy, actually, at the time. Um, we were, the world was in the depths of the GFC. Mm. Asia hadn't been affected yet. I had worked for Rectorec Singapore um, before and I had relocated to, to London um, I didn't want to relocate back to Singapore uh, and I wanted to stay on in London. So I was really forced to create my own solution. I could make use of those relationships that I'd had in Singapore and Hong Kong, but then didn't have to leave. And I literally just started it from, from my flat. Did you? Yeah, I did. And that was that a long time ago, but yes, I did. And what was, and what was sort of your vision back then, you know, and what sort of changed now? Um, I, mean, I didn't have a vision actually. I was I was 26. I didn't have any money. Um, I was nannying to pay my rent to wait for invoices to be paid, um, and it was just quite circumstantial. Um, 
but the vision did change and it changed quite significantly um and that was again that wasn't really driven by me it was at, um the law changed in singapore which you'll remember where, where you had to have a physical presence physical office and yep. you had to have a license um and we were placing a lot of people in singapore and into singapore um and so that was a bit of a game changer. It was very expensive um, and it, it seemed even more expensive at the time. But we realised um, after you know a year or so of being in Singapore that having that physical local pre presence was a massive game changer. Um, so we then sort of formulated a pretty clear strategy, um, which was to have offices in the key recruitment markets. So to have a physical um, presence in Hong Kong, um, Dubai and Australia and actually that was the general idea, but when it actually physically happened was more driven by the people that were already working for us. So we had an amazing lady that was working for us in Singapore, Kate, and her husband was transferred to Hong Kong. And so she went. Um, okay. Okay. So it was more sort of people led at that stage. Right. Is it still like that today, do you think? Yes, it is. It is. Like we opened, we um, opened our Melbourne office actually around um, Adam Briscoe, who'd worked for us for a number of years, who was sort of quite ready to go off and, um, you know, open up an international office. So that was really, yeah. it was something that we'd do and had been on the cards, but it was really just led by by him and when the timing was right. Right, right. So you haven't had Adam Campbell say that there's definitely a market in Barbados, yeah, or, the, you know, Caribbean, is any, you know, he hasn't said that yet then. <laughs> well, I would love that actually. I, but he is, he's really been pushing for, for, for Dublin, which looks like it's on the cards. So, Ooh, yeah. exciting. Oh, so anyone interested yeah. to move to Dublin or anyone from, from Ireland looking to uh, move jobs, I can contact Adam in the future then. Ooh, how exciting. Um, so let's, let's kick off in terms of sort of 2020. Um, we're obviously recording this in 2020, but this is going to be aired in 2021. So when you're listening to this, we'll be reflecting back on 2020. Um, so I'm keen to find out more on sort of which roles are in demand right now and which in a, and in which jurisdictions and what's sort of driven that gr that growth across all levels sort of MDs, senior consultants, principal researchers. Or, yeah. I think we see demand everywhere globally for um, good performance. So if it doesn't really matter which location somebody's in um, at the moment, like for we just placed someone last week, um, 500k plus biller to launch a, a complete startup division and location, which would be something that you might think companies might not want to do, you know, off, you know in 2020 or off the back of COVID. Um, but I guess there is just always going to be demand for people that improves that they can perform, um, that, regardless, right. of theory, regardless of location. Um, we, there's still a lot of demand for um, returning Kiwis and Aussies, for example, because they don't necessarily need, you know, need visas. Um, okay. And then gosh, we, we do have quite a large pipeline um, you know, of, of MD-level candidates. Um, Why is that? What's driven that reason? Um, what's, I think you're seeing what's driven that. Um, is that because they're being let go at the senior level? Um, most of the MD roles that I've got on actually are newly created positions. So um, because I've been working in the Australian market, most of those are companies that have got offices in um, you know, Melbourne and Sydney, for example, that are looking at launching into um, Canberra or looking oh, at um, okay. Brisbane. So they're just really expanding their, 
your presence across Australia. Well, and- so they're not moving people internally then. They're not pushing someone up to do that. There isn't... The- do you see then that internal mobility around Australia, for instance, is limited then to people want to yeah, get not, up and move from yeah, Sydney to Melbourne? Or- I think it is. Yeah, I don't see. Um, we don't. I actually have never made a placement from somebody that lives in Mel- lives in Melbourne that wants to relocate to Sydney, for example. But we've made plenty of placements of people living in Singapore that want to go to Hong Kong or go to another international. Oh, that's interesting. So a little bit more mobile, maybe in Asia. Yeah, I can imagine yeah, though at the MD no. level they've probably got maybe they've got kids at a certain age and and, and they've sort of you know got family around and the support system so maybe not so mobile. Yes, but maybe. less mobile. Yeah, that's interesting. And so when you said the roles in demand for, for Asia, I mean obviously quite a lot of people that are, that listen to the show are based in Asia. What sort of where have you seen demand? Is it has I know you said at all levels, but has it been? I mean. I mean, obviously, I do training to the recruitment industry, so I kind of hear a few things that go on. But I'm hearing a lot of junior level roles coming up, um, you know, where they're looking at more junior consultants than spending the big bucks right now. Is that is that something you're seeing or? I mean, I'm not probably close enough, actually, to to the market in Singapore and Hong Kong to, co- to comment on that. I can just I'm just looking thinking about the placements that we've made recently. And most of those mm. would still be experienced hires. Yeah, you know, I just could guess that by the, the size of the fees that have been coming through. Okay, okay. So maybe not using rec to rec for the seat, for the junior level stuff. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. That's maybe, but we did actually. Our London team just made a placement um, for last month um, for a graduate, which was, I was quite surprised to see. Um, oh, sure, yeah, that is a, that is a real surprise. Wow. So, wh- which sort of locations struggle to continue to struggle for? Um, I can't even I can't even read my sentence. Which locations continue to struggle for you right now? What is well, okay, that that doesn't make sense now. So is there a particular location um or that that it that is has been a little bit more um of a struggle to get kind of numbers up in twenty twenty, just because the market's kind of tanked? I think with um it, for us it has been Australia. Um and I think the reason for that was the sort of emotional toll that the lockdown had on our team there um, and uh, you know the inability to meet each other um, to meet our, our office in Australia is in Melbourne the inability to meet client candidate I know a lot of us are sort of working remotely but you know a lot of the there was the toughest lockdown in the world in Melbourne and it was the longest lockdown and I think that there was just yeah. a lot of in there um, which is understand it was a couple of months wasn't it wasn't it a couple of months or so for melbourne wasn't it i think seven seven months or so um, oh gosh i didn't realize it was as long as that oh they had, they had a few phases of it didn't they it came out and then it all kind of went bad again so yes, you found that so you found the consultants really struggled with that well obviously but that was that some when you say they struggled was that just because they hadn't necessarily kind of kicked into that whole remote working at that stage because i think in asia everyone kind of bounced into it quite quickly maybe because we're always used to doing quite a few remote calls anyway where people are located but what was the what, what were the challenges for your staff and I suppose recruitment businesses down there and how did they overcome that? Yeah I think it was the length of it in Melbourne really um, and and there was a point around I guess October um, where there wasn't necessarily an end in sight um, and I think and in Hong Kong we, I mean the team there did really well actually but Hong Kong they re- they really had a tough year, um, and Sam up there has done amazingly well. He's having a, a, a great quarter, but they had 
the riots in October last year, then they had three rounds of lockdown. And so, you know, they were sort of quite in and out and, you know, there was, there was just continual change um, you know, going on with, with, with things that we couldn't actually control. So, um, you know, which again took its toll, it was quite exhausting. Um, and but, you know, most other locations, like the our Singapore office has done really well this year. Um, and what, what do you think that is? I think maybe the longevity that, that we've had, you know, that we have in Singapore. Um, I think, you know, Adam's pretty, pretty seasoned, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, he's experienced other downturns. Um, and, you know, yeah. You know, yeah. for the younger ones, they haven't necessarily... Um, you know, experienced a downturn or know how to navigate through one. Um, yeah. I, I, think think that, I think there is there is a lot to that, isn't there? I mean, I think not just for rec-to-rec businesses, but recruitment businesses where, you know, for more or less experience, it is tougher because they, they, they haven't experienced it before. They're not sure what they need to do differently. Isn't all, you know, is it just picking up the phones more? Is it, you know, is there a different approach? And it is about leaning on people that have been through it a few times and sort of getting the tips and yes. how can we do it and or tweak it. Yeah, giving the team reassurance. Yes, yeah, yeah. I can, I can see, I can see how how Adam would do that because I think he's got sort of that safe pair of hands, isn't he? So um, we saw sort of a number of organisations, didn't we, last year? Well, particularly in Singapore, and I know you're not based in Singapore, but obviously you've got a business there. I know we we saw sort of Pure Search get shut down, didn't it? Well, I think that might have been even before that, but yes. there were quite a few that either shut down or they downsized. Um, have those have those not that particular business, but has some of those businesses sort of bounced back, or have you seen, um, you know, that sort of others rebuilding? What have you sort of experienced from 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 those types of firms? And um, I do think that most clients are hiring again now, um, and and definitely would hire if we presented you know a good cultural fit, um, you know, good good performance, strong networks. Um, so I think it really just comes down to the quality of the candidate that we are representing. Um, and, you know, a lot of firms globally reacted quite quickly and, and quite um, aggressively, what actually lead, leads on to one of your further questions about, about you know, why people are looking to move right now. And, and a, lot of, a lot of that has been driven by how their, their firms reacted or responded to to COVID? Yeah, talk me through that because I, obviously I hear a lot on the ground as well about sort of how maybe leadership have maybe not led, <laughs> putting it mildly. Um, but what, what what sort of what sort of common themes have you sort of heard coming up? I mean, we're not here to name names. It's not very. We're not doing that today. But um, you know, what what are the things that have perhaps haven't happened that have led to people getting a little bit annoyed and moving on or looking to move on? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we, there was a case in Australia where um, there was um, decisions made, you know, by the, by the board of a business um, and they didn't consult um, a few of the MDs across Australia about their decision-making or about the decisions that they wanted to make. Um, was it quite a major and, one then? Yeah. Like and on did, commission did, schemes or something? Yeah, so quite a significant, about a, I think it was about a 50% pay, pay drop. Um, right, okay, quite significant, yeah. Yeah, quite significant. They didn't ask for the, for the ND input on, on that, so there was a bit of follow-up with, with that. Um, but most, um, yeah, most firms were sort of pretty consistent. I think 
the solution that we've seen the most of, we hear the most of is um, you know, dropping down to sort of 75% or 80% of, um, of pay and dropping down to, to four days a week versus five um is that enough for people to want to move though Haley? i mean i'm interested in in that that you said that because obviously around the world everybody i mean a lot of governments obviously were paying for you know were paying up to say eighty percent hence why yes. they moved those numbers down so so why would someone want to move on from that because obviously it's kind of what's well, either that or no job so what, why would that be a bad thing that someone would want to move? Oh, yeah, sorry. That? that solution was was probably quite a healthy one, and that was how how most people, you know, did. Or that was the you know the majority of the solution that we saw companies making that amount of change. But anything more aggressive or drastic than that, I oh, think, like a fifty percent, you mean? Yeah. So that so, was you know, happening. That was happening yeah, in places, was that, it? That was happening. Um, you know, people, there was another firm that dropped down to three days a week. And I guess it really... I you know, love really it. <laughs> that, that a business I'd love has. to get away with three days a week. I know, I would, it would be the dream <laughs> for me. But, um, yeah. Oh, dearie me. So what other things were you hearing? What other, you know, what what are the reasons? I mean, you said you said before that people, that the recruitment firms are hiring individuals that have got cultural fit, that have got a strong network, a high performance. What is it that recruiters are looking for? What are they look? Is it anything different from when I chatted with Adam last year? You know, what what are what are people saying to you? I am looking for a company that will provide this, 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 this. What is this, 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 this? Um, it, yeah, I guess mainly autonomy. Um, so you know, there, there comes a natural point where people sort of grow up, grow out of certain environments, and they want to you know be a part of a more autonomous growing up environment and culture and that's usually I guess age and stage of you know where, where somebody's at or what's right, going so maybe going from a big large global player to maybe more boutique more senior seasoned individuals is that what we're is that what you're yes. saying yes yeah. yeah and yeah. I think that yeah, people naturally grow out of those environments or they want to be able to you know go to you know events at their children's school or sports days or whatever it might be and they don't sort of want a nickel and dime over that. They just sort yeah. of want the respect and freedom to be able yeah. to go to those things without being, being questioned or, you know, having to necessarily take leave or think, you know, just a little bit more flexibility, I think. And um, we find that with more experienced um, candidates. I think that um, with the, you know, with more junior candidates, it's really about the training and development and transparent progression. I see. It's the training and development, and what was the last one? Sorry, transparent progression. So mm. you know, Y Z, you will be promoted, and this is what your promotion will be. And then if you do, you know, fill a certain amount um, and have some other, I guess, softer objectives, um, then you will be promoted again. And I yeah. think that's something yeah. that that's fair. It's um, mm. a lot of buy-in. Yeah. What else? What about culture? Does that come up? Uh, it, it does. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that most firms now, you know, generally have a pretty consistent um, sort of feel, I guess, you know, with um, professional leadership, um, you know, standards are, are quite high now in the industry mm. or quality standards are quite high. Um, you know, recruitment places are like typically quite fun places to, to work. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting when you were saying what, what people are looking for, what they ask for, because it's um, it's going to lead me on to a discussion I had with um, with Kirsty Poltock at Page Personnel over coffee a few weeks ago. In the, you know, you said that people, junior consultants look at training development, fantastic. Um, transparent pipelines, prog- sorry, transparent progression in their careers. So they can see where they're going and what they need to do to get there. But it's interesting that, that what isn't coming up, um, and it's not a judgment thing, it's just of interest really, it isn't necessarily, okay, how big's your database? How alive is it? Where's your network? What's the numbers of the biggest biller? What did they earn last year? Because the coffee I had with Kirsty, was, it was really interesting. She, hopefully she won't be mad. Because it was my idea, so I think I'm allowed to say it on air, um, was that obviously everyone's calling everyone, right? Everyone's trying to move every consultant, you know, whether it's rec to rec, whether it's you guys, whether it's um, other recruitment firms calling directly. And I, and I sort of gave her... Um, I gave her advice. What I used to do over at Robert Walters was I would train the consultants how to answer calls from headhunters. So I'd say, well, look, if you're going to oh, if you're going if you're going to move, it's it's and you're not happy, it's okay, right? But at least move for the right role. Like if you are going to go and work for a company that maybe gives you more autonomy or gives you more chance, that's that's absolutely fine. You know, we may be who we are. That's it. That's that's great. There's other environments for you, but don't move for something you think is that and it's not, right? So. We'd actually give them a list of questions, <laughs> so and then we'd role play with them. So there was questions. You're my like, worst nightmare. I am, aren't I? So it'd be questions <laughs> like, um, um, so how big is your database? Um, and so um, what was the biggest bill or what did they earn? And it was all these kind of questions to catch catch out because most of the time the actual person was an internal TA and had absolutely no idea what they were selling. So yeah, it's pretty ruthless, I know, but not many people moved after that so it's quite good but I am the worst nightmare but I suppose it's also great for firms or yourselves calling that you've got to have that information right you have got to know who is the biggest bidder where did they start how did they progress their career if that's something that people are looking at right we need that people need the information they're only going to find out when they get there yes absolutely and I think that what you know I tend to do is I tend to sell the MD or the, or the key person that I have the relationship with and what they yeah. will learn of that person and what they, yeah. they will be yeah. ex- exposed to. And I guess that kind of comes from, you know, my own motivations of, you know, like what would I look for? Like, you know, I would want to be around other great people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll learn because that kicks into the training development, doesn't it? And it kicks into um, the progression, right? It does. And I think yeah. that, you know, ultimately people, you know, buy into other people um, and we and we you know we do the same like with potential partners we all tend to work with clients that we buy into yeah. brands that yeah like the leaders that we respect and then I think it just feels like a much more natural sell if you like when, when you are headhunting somebody yeah so, yeah um yeah. did you what what are the um when you when you call it when you call a recruit and they don't want to move what what are the sort of what are the reasons that they tend to give um, I mean, the contract book's a good one. Um, you know, they've, they've yeah. built, built up. Um, how do you overcome we, that then, Hayley? When you, when you get that, when you get a contract recruiter that's got a nice book, how do, you, how do you overcome that? How can you move a contract recruiter? Well, that's, it is a bit tricky, actually. It used to be, I mean, a long time ago where we could get permission guarantees for people or yeah. could, you know, out of the book. But um, those days haven't, you know, quite... Oh, really? Okay, so not even sort of giving them some kind of bonus or at least a bit of a sliding scale on what they could earn? 
or less targets. Yeah, sometimes. Um, but yeah, that that you know the, the contract book is a little bit sticky, um, and it is you know hard to um, you know shift someone on from that. Um, yeah. For other reasons, are you know that they could have a, a you know a profit share or um, you know like a, an, an unrivaled bonus scheme, or actually just in general, just a lot of emotional commitment. And, you know, they just feel like they are a part of their team and they have been sort of well looked after and respected or have friendships or, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. Just a, that where they're working is actually a really lovely place to work and it's not necessarily always about, you know, the money. Yeah, it's a tricky one though, isn't it? If you're walking away from a massive contract book but yeah but I suppose if you're asking if to move to a firm where you're building something and you own that whole entire piece and maybe there's kind of upside to that how do you one thing I'm really keen to know and especially in this my I have heard sort of all sorts of <clears throat> gossipy stuff in in the year of recruiters maybe getting let go and saying they've earned a certain amount and they haven't really it's kind of the team number um and I I do sort of feel sometimes MDs don't always get re- get recommendations or call up other MDs. This is a warm. I don't want to call them. You know, I've got someone really good here. You know, I, I don't want to sort of alert that I'm going to be hiring them. And so they don't always check. They don't always do the testimonials no, don't. and don't always no. know that, you know, uh, 120K quarter for that person was actually 20. Um, so how do you determine if a recruit is really telling the truth about the revenue that they brought in? Um, I mean, in small markets like Singapore and Hong Kong um, and Dubai, and we would we would usually know what seemed to fair and reasonable, um, you know, for that market and for that particular brand. Um, and we might, in another small market, we probably always generally, you know, we, of course we don't know everybody, but generally know who's performing, you know, who's performing well, or we might have heard of someone in the market. So. If it was something exceptional, um, do you ever ask for pay slips? Uh, yes, yes. In England, um, that sort of is, is part of the process yeah. sometimes. Yeah. HR produce your P forty five, I think it's called. And, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's yeah. It's we not really ask- out here, is it? It's not a common no. thing. I mean, I would always sort of threaten it if I really didn't believe them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just kind of admin, you know, if you can just send that over when you get a chance, that'd be great. And then kind of a few days later, you'd get, oh, I'm not keen to to progress any further than you kind of know whether they were telling the truth or not. Yeah. I always find it a really interesting one. Um, How do you determine the right fit between a client and a recruiter? Because I just, you know, so many different recruitment firms on what they stand for, different leadership styles, different commission schemes. How do you try and... How do, you, how do you know you're making the right decision when you're putting forward candidates for roles? Because you're very candidate-led, aren't you, in terms of how you run your business? Yes. Yeah, we are, um, unless it's a yeah, retainer, but, and then it's the total opposite. But we, um, uh, I guess with that, we really try and understand what the motivations are for leaving and, and what somebody's looking for. Um, and I guess if we get a, you know, quite a deep understanding of that, then we try and find a close match to that. Um, but, yeah, that is, it can be, um, you know, it's not always about the money, like we were saying earlier. It's, it's usually about um, maybe lack of progression. You know, there could be an AD that's sitting under a director and yeah. doesn't really see that. Nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nowhere to go. Um, and, you know, then we can sometimes move an AD out of a bigger you know, put them in a, in a director in a boutique 
Um, but yeah, it really does come down to what the person actually wants and what their drivers are for leaving. Hmm. Mm, I always, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, what what are the typical commission structures that are out there? Have they had to adapt due to the market? Coaching provides a space for professionals to take time to hit the pause button, reassess, make decisions, commit to new action and move forward with clarity. To enjoy a 10% discount on our coaching programs, reach out and quote the word talent. Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Um, I haven't seen a lot of change. I mean, Australia really does, um, you know, have the draw system, um, and that is really popular, which is, you know, generally starts at about 30% up to about 45%, um, and that's that's pretty consistent. Um, and then also, you know, a lot of firms in Singapore have quite some structures to that as well. Are those high as um, that, though, in terms of the commission? How high? Sorry. In Asia, is it up to sort of the full? I know, I know when we spoke to Grit Search last year, he was doing 40%. I don't know what, let, what, what, when it kicked in, but I sort of hear mixed sort of numbers, sort of 20%. And, you know, what, what are, what is sort of the standard commission structures? I think anything sort of, yeah, of the total OT of about 30% would be pretty standard. That's standard, right. Okay. And that would be, yeah, that would be pretty. And have they, so they haven't really adapted so much in terms of kind of comp or, you know, salaries or silence. Is anything, you know, did, you know, of, of companies last year, in you know in 2020 did they sort of adapt the salaries that they were paying people was it more you know was it trickier to get senior level salaries that what they used to get like what what were the changes yeah i mean in australia the salaries got pushed up a little bit because of the the, the visa requirements so um i think it was about about 80,000 um strangers including including still was the salary that you had to pay to, to be able to get a visa um, to sponsor somebody right. in Australia. Right. A little bit the same here in Singapore then if you're getting an expatriate in yes. the certain salary ranges now. Yeah, I think seven, eight K a month or something. Yeah, okay. And and the, the difficulty with that is just the, I guess, the transparency of, of the laws and, and you can't really have somebody coming into a business from outside that doesn't have a network in, in Singapore and Australia, for example, and have their peers that can legally work in Singapore and Australia and be paying them less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it causes, you know, you've got to have parity internally. So that's yes. pushed salaries up um, at the at the more junior end, if anything. Okay. Uh, MD-level salaries, um, I could probably be contradict on that. I haven't seen them move much at all in the last 10 years. Really? They seem to just be quite consistent. Really? Yes. Is that because they're not asking people in the market what they should be earning? <laughs> yeah, I, do, I think people, I mean, as we know, it was, what, what years was it, 2000 and five to eight it was just booming wasn't it so yeah yeah maybe it's maybe it's more well obviously with an MD, it's not just the basic salary anyway is it it's always going to be on overall company increasing that bottom line so okay so what i'm interested to know from a from a um career path perspective for researchers and resources because i sort of would imagine that that would be the one area that people would cut in in tough times is that 
has that been the case or have they kind of been unscathed in 2020? I mean, I've seen a new, well, a new client to us that we've got to know since I've been um, on this side of the world who have built um, a really innovative research platform. And um, they, I think they have about eight researchers to four consultants or, or a ratio like, like that. Um, and they pre-map the whole entire market. So, for example, if they had a, a senior role or a mandate that they were working on, um, the researcher would map the whole entire market and would provide quite in-depth information about you know, the turnover of the business, the size of the team underneath of them. Um, and they've been selling um, these maps, um, the likes of you know, Frontier in New Zealand, who have then been um, using another search firm to ex execute on the map. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, so that is, you know, quite, I guess it's quite unique to be investing in that at this time. And they've, and they've actually created their own research um, interesting they, they're using a lot of um, sort of I guess more impartial analytics so a lot of um, psychometric testing and profiling and scoring um, and yeah. you know that's definitely making use of um, you know research skills and analytical skills um, and yeah just needing far less salespeople to um, to execute that. That's interesting. I mean, we're seeing something like that in Asia where slightly different way of using it, but they're, you know, in terms of trying to get another revenue stream, um, looking at um, conducting diagnostics for clients, you know, whether that be a disc model or Clifton Strengths or Myers-Briggs or that kind of thing. But I always feel it's kind of short term. It's kind of how recruitment firms want to do it for a little bit to make a bit of money and then they'll just sort of go off it. You've got to, I think, decide that that's going to be a long-term service offering and, you train or you hire people that will be certified in that area. And it, in, in, I, I do think it's a great idea. I think it's an excellent um, addition to the recruitment side, but I think it has to be a long-term strategy than just something yeah, sort so of like ad hoc. Corn Ferry acquiring Hay Group, that was a, a, a quite a size. Yeah, I mean, they're fantastic at that, right? It is. They're, yeah. they're, it's worked for them. But then I'd say, I think years, I think Hudson used to have, in Singapore, the psychometric side, right? And I think they might still have it now, but it's, you know, it's not necessarily the same as, um, or the same reputation as Corn Ferry had it. Um, so have you, have you, um, have you ever told a consultant to stay where they are? Have you ever had that situation where actually them looking to move is actually probably not the right decision? Um, yes. Um, when, yeah. Again, probably comes down to that contract book. Or that they are on a base salary that that we know that we we couldn't really match, um, or you know our clients wouldn't match. Um, when else we tell somebody to stay if they're not really sure about what they want, mm -hmm. what thing for? Um, you we might encourage them to to think about what they actually really want before they make a move. Um, and, on, and on that, have you ever found where you've got you've had a number of people from the same company come to you? Have you ever had to kind of pick up the phone to the to the head if you've got a good relationship and say, you know, not to divulge any any names, but what's going on, you know, or even perhaps people have left and there's mass exits. 
do you ever have those kind of conversations? Because I know, I know when I used to recruit for the banks, sometimes we, we would have to go in and kind of say, look, you've, you've had sort of 90% turnover and we're struggling to get people in, in, in to work for you because the reputation's not that great. How do you want us to position that? You know, what's going on? You know, because it is, it is more difficult to hire people into that team, but also what's their strategy at, at kind of getting out of that? What's going on? Have you faced that? Yes, we do. You know, I mean, Singapore in particular is, um, and I've, I've spent most time there, but quite a small place. So, you know, there can be, the rumour mills can. God, yeah, absolutely. Love a good um, gossip yeah. in Singapore. I love it. Yeah, so yeah. Opera. The, um, the fun of being in this industry, isn't it? But sometimes the stories can get a little bit out of control. Um, right. And then what, fabricated actually, a little bit? Yes, and then, you know, and, but so usually what we will do is, you know, maybe meet with an MD and, you know, just be transparent and just say, look, how do you want us to present this? Right. Um, you know, or what, you know, what, what is the, the correct version? Um, <laughs> yeah, but I've never actually called anyone and said, you know, we've heard this has been going on, you know, is this is true. Um, but often we... Um, We'll have clients asking us what their reputation is in the market. Yeah, I think that is a good question, though. I think that's a, a, a really good one for recruitment firms to ask because then they're, at least they're, they're trying to gather that information and being quite self-aware. Yes, all the pushback. And actually, um, Danny, who is in our Singapore office, had a candidate who um, I was just visiting in Singapore at the, at the time and had a candidate that didn't want to go um, to meet a client of hers because they'd, they'd heard not very good things about this okay. particular matter. And um, I asked Danny if she had actually met the manager herself and, you know, and did she feel quite comfortable, you know, trying to um, rebut that. And um, we, we discussed that, you know, sometimes, you know, we may not have the history with a client and that, that could very well be true. You know, what, the, what the candidate's saying is that person, you know, could be a little bit notorious or could be a little bit tricky to work with. But if it's a new client and we don't really know that for ourselves, it's, um, you know, it's usually better to go and meet, meet the client, get to know them, yeah. ask them about their management style or, or ask their MD, you know, what, you know, what the feedback is from the team or the person that reports to. That. And she actually managed to gather this information, meet the manager and convince her candidate to go and meet this person. Did they work okay. for them? after that but yeah did they end up getting the job or did they i can't remember actually but yeah i'm not sure so what advice would you give a recruiter right now that's been with a firm a few years and is looking for a change what are the things that you sort of get them to be you know considering before they make that big leap i guess to really think about what they want over the next three to five years and to really get quite clear on that is it that they want to work retainers? They want to move into search. Is it that they want to, you know, manage and be developed as a as a manager? Because what, whatever that reason is, would then dictate what our solutions would be for them. Yeah. Think, yeah. So language, you know, quite often a, a bit of a waste of time, really. So again, what was the last bit you said? Lateral moves. Mm. So you know, there has to be. Um, you know, substance behind that because, you know, sometimes our clients get really excited and that, you, know, you might present them with a, with a good filler and but then when we kind of get down to the nitty-gritty of, you know, 
a counter offer or managing the process, there really has to be sort of good reason and rationale for, for the person wanting to make that decision. So a company's got to be really, really clear when they're hiring other recruiters then in terms of what differentiates them, right? So that they can make yes. it quite clear on why they should work for you, whether it is training development, whether it's how big their contract book, which means there's financial stability as a business, whether you've got great managers that, that are going to spend time to develop them up the career. So, so is your advice to recruitment firms that are looking to hire other recruiters that they have to be clear on what that path is and when it gets to the interviewing stage, because that's another thing I'm always, I'm really keen to know, because I do, I'm doing a lot of work on the leadership side of a lot of recruitment firms at the moment. And one area of, of one area that we spend quite a lot of time on is how you, how you screen recruiters. You know, what are the questions we're asking? And I do find, um, and I'd probably say I, I was probably guilty of it as well in the past, was recruiters aren't the best recruiters at interviewing other recruiters. Because bias just really kicks in really badly. Oh yeah, they're you know they're great, they're great. They've come from that firm. We've had a few from there. They're great. And so there's just so much bias without you know obviously unconscious bias. Um, so do you sort of feel that from a sort of an interview perspective that recruitment firms could probably probably need to sort of identify what is the right questions to ask, how they go through that screening process? Is that something you advise firms on? Yes, I think like a lot of it, you know, what candidates like is consistency. So if they go and meet, and it's pretty basic, but if they go and meet an MD and the MD says the second stage will be that you meet with Andrea Ross, the third stage will be a, a chat with Hayley, and then after that we will be in a position to to offer, or you might have to do a business plan and when. Um, the process is consistent. Candidates really buy into that because this might be the only interaction that they have with, with, with that firm. And... The firm's already proving that they're doing what they say they're going And I think, you know, in, in hotter markets and, um, you know, with, with high performers, it's more about what that candidate is going to gain by being in that environment or by being in that business as opposed to, um, and obviously the firm has to sort of ascertain, you know, a, a cultural fit and, um, you know, do their due diligence too. But, um, and, you know, in markets it is really probably more about the firm selling themselves mm. and it being you know I guess a bit more evenly picked yeah sort of client selling themselves and then the candidate actually being sort of grilled and interviewed thoroughly but generally most recruitment firms um, you know don't do much, um, you know, they don't often have standard interview questions that they ask or first stage questions, second stage questions. Um, we are seeing a little bit more of um, like the site test and the um, sort of, yeah, um, yeah, a bit more of like the profiling. Yeah, uh, I, love that, that. I love that. I think, yeah, I think if I it gets that. to second, third stage, I don't necessarily think the first stage, I mean, I, I've developed a set of questions for recruitment firms for interview questions. But it's also quite strength-based questions, so we we tie it in with Clifton Strength. So you're getting to identify how someone looks, how someone executes, how they build relationships, how they influence, how they think. So how their strategic thinking is, because we've all got talents in those four domains, pretty much, right? Um, some talents in more of those domains than others. But using the right questions, you don't have to necessarily be paying the bucks to do a diagnostic until maybe second, third round. But yes. so I think it is just using quite 
quite intentional questions to identify their talents. Because I think as recruiters, if you're hiring someone to be a researcher, we know that they have got to be fairly good at strategic thinking or at least being able to kind of, um, you know, map that market, um, have a bigger picture thinking as opposed to just going straight down a rabbit hole. But also they've got to be great at influencing because you're going to be possibly going to, you know, headhunt candidates that aren't on the database. You know, it's so again, it's just kind of identifying what that role is and what are the right competencies and how you're going to test for that and verify that in an interview. And I think recruiters are great at doing that for their candidates. But when it comes to their own business, can sometimes just overlook it. It's only until you sort of talk through it and see the benefits that they then go, oh, God, yeah, that's great. We'll use those questions. That's fantastic. And their decision making is a lot better when they hire. But it's uh, I just find it quite fascinating. I think there's just so many different ways you can do that and get the right talent yes. on board. Um, what, um, what are the recruiters looking for when they – I think we've already asked that one. If a recruiter is deciding to talk to a rec to rec, why would they ring your company over others? Because there's a few, there's a few of you people out there. Um, so <laughs> what, what would, what would kind of, um, you know, let's just say there's someone listening that's looking to move. They had a few phone calls from a few rec to rec around the region. Why should they make the first call to you? Um, I think, you know, particularly in Hong Kong, Singapore, most of the markets actually, you know, we've had quite um, stable presence in those markets, you know, so Adam Campbell's been in Singapore for 10 years. And I think what that does is it just gives really deep um, market knowledge and, and insight. And yeah. um, also a lot of the time we're making placements um, into, the, into clients that we've maybe worked with for, you know, five to, to ten years yeah that's amazing um, there's a lot of information there isn't there in history yeah there is and and you know the reason I like that is I feel like we can often feel quite confident in the environment that we're placing somebody into yeah or, you know that the leadership that you know, they would be reporting through to or you know what the progression would be um and I think that that really helps um and just a little bit of you know I guess Credibility. We some, you know, we know a lot of these clients inside out. You know, so we can be quite sure about what we are saying. Yeah. Um. And you know, why, why else they speak to us? I think we're just very experienced. Our team. Um. You know, we've got Adam who's worked for us for eight years. Adam Campbell's just gone five years. Beth's five years. Kate Kennedy's five years. So it's quite a, a stable team. And when you sort of pull all of that together, um, you know, there wouldn't be many clients and. Hong Kong or Singapore, but we wouldn't know. Yeah, and do you find that you because you've you've got sort of offices around around the world? Is there a lot of internal mobility then? Is there a lot of candidates that are that your your sort of shift around the world, or do you find that people tend to sort of stay? I mean, stay within certain countries and not move out so much. Yeah, we do um, slow down this year, but that's really because of visas and quarantining yeah. flights. But we do pass a, a lot of candidates to each other, so we do split deals. So, it, you know, we, at one point, I think about 30% of our revenue was in, um, was in international relocations. Um, and um, I started Pennington Partners um, and, the, and the best that I was working in was relocating British recruiters into Asia. And then... Oh, wow. Oh, right. Yeah, just into Australia. So that, was, so that was really all we did initially. And then when we were physically in Singapore, we then were able to receive international candidates yeah. and 
build local networks. Interesting. Are you seeing in Asia though? Are you seeing sort of you know because if you look at the, the Asian market, like Japan for instance or China, just huge amounts. You know, big big market. Do you see a lot of movement from those consultants moving out, or do you that they just tend to be fairly domestic and stay there? Uh, we we do see you know a few candidates from China moving into Hong Kong, right. um, and Japan. We don't do a lot. You know, I don't know a lot about that. And I'd love to. I would love. For yeah, interesting work. market, right? Yeah. Yeah, really amazing. But we, yeah, we don't have a lot of experience there, so I couldn't really. Yeah. Okay. On. Okay. And so, just from a client perspective, which which firms tend to use Rectorette more? Is it the boutique or the larger players? You know, and what and what what are the drivers around that? Um, I think the boutiques. And um, we, you know, we love a startup. Right. You know, we, we. Why is really- that? Why Why is that? your face completely lighting up when you even talk about Uh, it (laughs) yeah I think it's because it's a good story and you know it's exciting and you know building something from I mean I love I personally love startup but you know building something from scratch and Mm. that's often a move that people will make before they maybe go out you know go out on their own or um, I think that a lot of the larger firms quite quite rightly can train their own um you know can accommodate grads and, and have and development programs and again quite quite rightly they like to um progress their own and yes. you know it doesn't look great if you're telling people that they need to do xyz to get promoted and then they're using agencies to sort of brick, constantly be bringing yeah. in people yeah. love them of course they do use us sometimes but it's usually for sort of quite a specific skill yeah yeah or maybe launch of a new um division where yeah. they may not have the, t- the talent internally to do that mm. and then accepted that you know they came to us to, to find a head of supply chain for example because they didn't have anyone internally yeah, to do that yeah. but any boutiques use us more mm. and, and now I've now no doubt a few firms have let people go in 2020 is that still happening is are there still are you hearing that people are still being let go or is it settled now it seems to have slowed down and stabilized I think yeah don't, we don't hear much about I mean for a few months that we didn't you know Stop hearing about that, but yeah, I don't hear. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. That's something positive. Fantastic. What advice would you give a recruiter to be successful? Uh, be a mainstayer. Uh, commit to a sector, commit to a location, commit to an employer, um, and then over time your market will start. When you working. say commit to an employer, how long is committing to an employer? Because I mean, mine was 13 years. I mean, Jesus, I overcommitted. But um, what would be kind of a good length of time? if you'd proved yourself and were doing sort of consistent billings, what looks good on a CV? Really three, you know, three to five years. Right. Um, and. So would you be concerned if you saw CV with someone moving after every year? I mean, I'm old school, so I'm like, yes, I'm just, I'll run a mile. Absolutely. But I'm keen to know what you think. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't bear it. I mean, you know, sometimes we would speak to, you know, a, a junior recruiter, we might have market knowledge. Like, for example, we might know that a, that a firm closed and so therefore we, we will accept you know, the six months. Yeah, stint. okay. But, um, you know, we do often try and get some context to it. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we love stable profile and, um, you know, people love to get one from us. So, What else, what else makes someone stand out other than that longevity, stayed in their market, built their contacts? What, what, what else is... A, a six, what else can be, make someone a successful consultant? 
that you know that it means that they're more marketable to go somewhere else revenue is is probably mm. the most consistent yeah. revenue consistent revenue absolutely yeah, yeah. and i think Not just one good quarter consistent progression mm-hmm. and you know by that i mean you know, being a consultant two years being a senior consultant yeah. two years men becoming a manager or being an AD, or, or if, if that's not the progression, you know, on the contingent side, you know, committing to, um, you know, retain search and, and just sort of seeing something that is sort of, I guess, relevant to, you know, the, the amount of time that you've spent in the industry. Yeah, great advice. How do you prevent a recruitment firm keeping you closed, you know, to stop you headhunting their staff? Because I've got to admit, at Robert Walters, because we, we, we never use recruiters that much. We had a strategy which was just keep them close, keep them close, go for lunch, go for coffee. But you're never going to use, you're probably only going to use them once, but otherwise they will raid you. Um, so, so how do you prevent a recruitment firm not just giving you a bit of lip service? I, do, I don't think we can, to be, to be honest. And we're lucky in a lot of the markets, so we don't need lots of new clients um but you know it all sort of comes out in the wash doesn't it like after yeah. sort of 18 months um, <laughs> when you're not getting we, anything that's like we've sent you know 25 cvs to a particular client and they haven't hired anyone and those people have been placed elsewhere or you know whatever yeah. it might be yeah um it, you know i think and sometimes we have to get to know the client and the client has to get to know us to see if it mm. will work and sometimes relationships sort of naturally um, dissipate but yeah definitely um, some firms do do that but eventually um, yeah, you we have to break break away so how so I'd be really keen how would you describe a relationship with one of your clients that is strong because I think it's really important I think it's really nice advice to anyone listening that is running a recruitment firm on how they could be dealing and building a relationship with a rec to rec and what the benefits of doing that would be for them yeah I guess probably that it would be, you know, having mutual respect and trust. And mm. have to earn that, you know, we have to earn that. And, yeah. you know, the placement certainly helps. Um, and then you, you know, start seeing repeat business is always, a, you know, a good sign of, of a strong um, relationship. Um, and then also what then happens is a relationship can often deepen because you might then start, you know, you've got the success to sell a retainer. And then when you're working with a client on a retained basis, you're not creating or participating in creating a bidding war between two clients. And so I think, yeah, it would just be mutual trust, repeat business, and then retainers would probably be the things that you would look for. Love it. What sort of um, what sort of training and development are recruitment firms providing to their staff? Because you mentioned before that when people are looking to move, especially the junior level, they're looking at good training and development. Are you sort of hearing anything sort of new out there on what firms are doing to attract good talent or at least retain good talent, retain their talent? Um, Other than yeah, obviously I mean, using me, Hayley. Other than using Oh, me. yes, of course. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Providing executive coaching to their key people. Okay, um, you've plugged me enough. You've plugged me enough. I'm, I'm, um, so, yeah, I guess actually we've seen them, and you would have too, that the emergence of SMEs, it used to be something that, you know, the, the bigger players really only offered or, you know, had like Randstad and Rob Walters always had, you know, great um, training and development. Yeah, and- a lot more internal, I think, than necessarily external. Yeah, 
Yes, exactly. And, I, and so I guess the biggest shift that we have seen is, is the, the outsourcing of that. Yeah. Um, you know, in businesses like yours, um, you know, being able to support um, you know, businesses like ours, that we, we're too small. We couldn't have our own training and development teams. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you, you know, yes, you'll learn a lot from, from your MD or, or your direct boss, but, you know, sometimes you do need to go external. Yeah, but, you know, to look at different concepts. And it isn't always recruitment, though, is it? It's also, you know, whether it's, you know, tr- building trust or how to, you know, look at different personality styles or things like that. Okay, so we are on the rapid fire round. Exciting. Um, so we've got a couple of questions before we finish up, Hayley. So let's kick off. What drives you up the wall about recruitment consultants? Constant drama. <laughs> In what way? Um, uh, what way? I, I mean, I guess we wouldn't have all of these, um, you know, recruitment stories for our friends if, um, if we weren't in this industry. But it's a notorious industry for drama, isn't it, recruitment? Yeah. Like, there's fun, unrivaled yeah. in terms of crazy stories. Um, yeah. And we try not to, you know, participate in that too much. Um, and it is a nightmare when you get someone like that. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a great, great reality TV show, wouldn't it? Okay, so um, thank you so much for today. We got through so much. I really, really appreciate it. Um, thank, you for being a, thank you for being on as a guest, and I really appreciate the time you had today. If you'd like to get in contact with Hayley from Paddington Partners, then please check out the notes on this episode where her contacts will be found and details of anyone mentioned on the show. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then don't be stingy. Share it with as many people as you can. Rate it and review it and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, our company website, The Career Establishment and LinkedIn. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Be safe out there. And thank you, Hayley, for your time. Thank you so much, Andrea. So lovely to see you. Brilliant. Well, hopefully we'll see you soon. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.